When we first began in missions, we traveled thousands of miles. This was back in 1979. Yeah. For about two, two years, two and a half years, we began our deputation going, and we preached in many churches. As a matter of fact, I believe I preached in something like 250 churches, uh, raising our support to go to England to work with the military, and uh, uh, we, 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 uh, uh, we ran into a lot of strange churches, and this is probably the strangest one that we ever visited. Actually, we were going through, um, uh, we were going through Oklahoma. And uh, I spotted this sign there with these fellows here. One thing about them, they like to fellowship. <laughs> and I like churches that like to fellowship. All right? So anyway. Uh, they could. Yes, sir. Yeah, they could. But uh, anyway, we'll get serious now, okay? So I invite you this morning to uh, take your Bibles. And uh, let's turn to the book of James again, chapter 1. We began last week with an introduction and uh, we learned that James, the, uh, the oldest half-brother of the Lord Jesus, uh, he was, in fact, the real author of this letter. Okay? And uh, we also learned that he had three qualities that characterized his life, which also should, uh, I believe, be true of us. Now, before we go any further, would you pray with us, all right? Father, this morning, we thank you for the night's rest. Thank you for a brand new Lord's Day. Help us to honor you, to be faithful today. And uh, as we present uh, this lesson, I pray that it will help us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And we pray you bless all the activities of today and all the teaching and preaching. And uh, thank you for those who've come this morning. May this be a profitable time for all of us. Help us, Lord, to, to learn and to, to serve you and to love you with all of our hearts. And we'll thank you for that. We do thank you for the technology we have to use today and we praise you for all that you let us use in jesus name we pray amen now the first the first quality we see just as a reminder yeah he had a lowly consideration of himself um he didn't he didn't see himself you know uh wednesday i think it was wednesday night that's when brother um, um diego Last Sunday night, last Sunday night, uh, Brother Diego mentioned this. He, he, he spoke about VIP, about being a VIP. And um, what does that stand for? A what? Very important person. Right. Well, that wasn't James. James didn't believe that he was a VIP. Um, but as a matter of fact, he, he believed, and he tells, he tells us in the first chapter here, verse 1. And we're, just, we're not going to read the whole chapter this morning. We read it last week, but I hope you've taken time this week to read the book of James. But in James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So James, was he didn't see himself as a VIP, uh, but as a servant, as a bond slave of God and course of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the truth is, the truth is that everyone is a slave, either of sin or to God. And uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. 
However, as Christians, we have been freed from sin, haven't we? And uh, matter of fact, we have been freed from sin, but we are enslaved to God. Uh, would some, Melody, would you read Romans six twenty two, please? Romans six and verse twenty two. Thank you, dear. You know, someone says, someone might say, well, you know, look, look at me. Uh, I think we need to be very careful about this. Look at me, I'm a Christian. Aren't I somebody? And sadly, there are people like that today who claim to be Christians, and uh, they, they, they think that maybe they're better than others are. You know, the truth is that you and I have nothing to boast about. Right? We have absolutely nothing to boast about. We are sinners saved by grace. We deserve hell. But God in His mercy has given us eternal life in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? The second characteristic we recall about James is that he had a lofty conception of his Savior. He believed that Jesus Christ and God were one and the same. And that He was His Savior. I want to ask you this morning, is He yours? Is He your Savior today? Do you know that for sure? Do you have that assurance of salvation? I was watching a video this week on the Vatican. Very interesting. And uh, in particular, it was about a young man who has been there for about five years now. And uh, he, he, he sings. He, he sings in the, the, uh, the choirs they have there. And he sings solos also. And he was prepping himself to sing before the Pope. Well, the interviewer asked him a question. She said, who is God? And here's a young man that's been there for five years. You would think he'd know something, but he did not know. He said he didn't know who God was. Isn't that a shame? There are many like that today. But James knew. He knew who Jesus was, the Son of God. And then the third characteristic is this, that he had a loving concern for others, for other people. He had a concern for his scattered, saved Jewish brethren. Now, what about you and I? What about you and I? Do, do, do we have a concern for others? We've been learning a lot lately uh, about that matter of, of serving each other and of caring for one another. And there are things that are going to be developing this year that Pastor will be sharing with us. And uh, we're going to see just what, uh, what a real, real loving congregation is. Well, we already see that. We, uh, you know, this is one of Melody and I have mentioned this since we've been here. Uh, this is probably one of the most fellowshipping churches we've ever been in. And I like that. I think it's wonderful. And that we care one for another. Amen? And uh, we, we, we also learned about the recipients of this letter. And the recipients uh, fall into two groups. First of all, historically, the 12 tribes. And that, that was a common term that was used to refer to the Jewish people who were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And these were perhaps immature um, Jews, immature Christians who, who were suffering for their faith. And uh, they had some church problems, of course. What church doesn't? Did you know there's... I know you've heard this before, but did you know there is no perfect church? Uh-huh. And, and there's no perfect pastor. 
Um, there's no perfect computer, be it Apple or whatever. We live in an imperfect world, right? But we do have a perfect Savior, and that's what's important. So the recipients were the 12 tribes. Um, they had problems that James is writing to. He, he wrote this letter to exhort them, to comfort them, uh, and to challenge them because they were undergoing trials and, and persecution because of their faith. I believe this last week, Pastor mentioned about the fact that, uh, you know, that uh, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we don't know how much longer we have freedom to serve the Lord. And therefore, it's important that we serve Him today. Today. Make today count for the Lord Jesus Christ. But here they were, they were persecuted because of their faith. Uh, we may be one day, uh, but James wants them to grow up and uh, become spiritually mature Christians. And I believe that that should be the desire of every Christian, to grow up in the Lord Jesus, to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then not only uh, was it uh, uh, his recipients were historically, but prophetically, he wrote to all believers, past, present, and of course, future. And this letter is also for 21st century Christians, uh, for you and I. And I, I personally believe that it should be taught that this book, this, this letter, James, should be taught in every Bible-believing church. That's how important it is. So this morning, I want us to continue uh, with this introduction to James, uh, which has been called the first epistle uh, to Christians. And as I mentioned last week, it's a book of practical Christianity. You can't get any more practical than James. It's a book about putting our faith into action. Uh, it's a book about spiritual maturity. It's a book about a faith that works. And um, throughout this study, we're going, to be, we're going to see that the theme of James is what we believe will change the way that we behave. And that's so important today. Because spiritual maturity was common, was the common cause of the problems that James dealt with, his major concern was that true biblical faith is manifested by marks of spiritual maturity. You know, a saved person will have some marks of maturity. Amen? So, with that in mind, what are the marks of a mature Christian, a spiritually mature Christian? I'm not going to go into de detail this morning, uh, but as we study the book of James, we, we, we are going to see what a spiritual mature Christian looks like. First of all, he is patient in testings. He's patient in testings. How, how do you handle trials? Look at James chapter 1, verse 2, excuse me. He says here, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. So how do you handle the trials of life? What do you do when your world's falling apart? Yes, when they come, when these trials come, I believe that the spiritually mature Christian is patient. Is patient. Are you? I don't know if you've heard this prayer before, but uh, maybe, um, maybe you have. Maybe you have uh, said this prayer. Huh? Dear Lord, please give me patience. And hurry! Hurry, Lord. I need it right now. 
He also, secondly, remember, we're not going to go into detail because we're going to be looking at these throughout this study. Second, he practices the truth. And we see that in chapter 2 and uh, verse 1 and verse 9 in particular. What do you do with the truth that you've heard? Did you know we're all responsible for what we hear, for the truth that we hear? We are responsible for that. Chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And so we'll, we'll see. Uh, <coughs> we'll see. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> These should be coming up. Here you go. <coughs> he practices, secondly, he practices the truth. Okay, and we'll see throughout this uh, series how that takes place. And in chapter 2, for one thing, he is not a respecter of persons. Okay, and we'll find out what that's all about. And then next, he has power over his tongue. We'll see that in chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 5 in particular right now. Chapter 3, verse 5 says, Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Um, James in chapter 3 here, look at verse 8 also. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is the world's biggest or littlest, biggest trouble, biggest little troublemaker. Alright? And, uh, we're going to find that out. So, what about us? Do, do, do we have trouble controlling our tongues? Or does our tongues control us? The spiritually mature Christian knows what to say. And he knows when to say it. And uh, when to keep silent. That's very important. Hey, here's a little ditty I heard a long time ago. I did it again today. I guess I'm in a rut. I missed another opportunity. To keep my big mouth shut. (laughs) Can you relate to that? The next thing is that he is a peacemaker. He's not a troublemaker. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? How, how, How do we handle troubles and disagreements? You know, the Christian life is a warfare. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. I think there's a song about that somewhere I've heard years ago. And uh, there are certainly many enemies. But the spiritually mature Christian, he chooses his battles wisely, and then he seeks to be a peacemaker. Do you? Do I? The next thing we see is that he is prayerful, in troubles. In chapter 5 and verse 16 it says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. I think it's good to pray one for another but it's good to pray with one another. I remember one time uh, here a while back when Brother Diego was going through his therapy with his arm. I remember, I remember saying to him, uh, Brother Diego, I'll pray for you. And he said, well, would you, would you pray with me? 
And I've remembered that. And I think that's, that's certainly what's something we need to do. We need to pray with one another. Not only pray for each other, but pray one for another. I remember one time when I was at Tennessee Temple University in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was walking down the street between classes, and uh, I met, uh, I met uh, one, of the, one of my classmates, and, and I mentioned to him some things that I was going through personally. And uh, I, I said, would you pray for me? And he said, sure, I sure will. And then he bowed his head right there on the sidewalk, students going by, and he began to pray for me. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And you know, many times we may be speaking to someone on the phone and we'll say, well, brother or sister, I'll pray for you. Why don't you try praying with them right there on the phone? And what, what, what a blessing that will be. And I've learned to do that ever since. So, um, the... Um, a spiritually mature Christian, he practices and he believes uh, in prayer. And he has faith for the results also. So, if these are the marks of a spiritually mature Christian, then what makes a spiritually mature Christian? First of all, suffering. Suffering makes a mature... Am I going too fast for you? Are you able to... We're all right? Okay. Um, suffering makes a mature Christian. And we're going to see this in chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And this has to do with how we handle the trials of life. Okay? And we're all going to suffer. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I believe that's 1 Timothy. And then, something else will make a spiritually mature Christian is studying the Bible. That makes a spiritually mature Christian. We'll see that in... Um, Again, chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. The Bible makes a mature Christian. What's that saying? The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And so this, uh, this has to do with how we handle the Word of God. And then thirdly, sincerity makes a mature Christian. Of course, this has to do with how we handle others. And we'll see that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And then, service makes a mature Christian. And this has to do with putting our faith into practice. What was I said last week? There are many people who talky-talky, but they don't walky-walky. They don't put into practice what they learn or what they claim to be. We'll see that in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And then, sound speech makes a mature Christian. And, uh, you know, this has to do with how we handle our tongue. And wait till we get there, and you're going to see what a, what a terrible thing the tongue can be. It's iniquity. It's a world of iniquity. It's a fire. It sets the world on fire, James tells us. And so, sound speech makes a mature Christian. And uh, then next, submission to God makes a mature Christian. And uh, this has to do with how we handle our obedience to God and His will. I'm just trying to remember the verse that Jesus said, you know, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And so there's a matter of submitting ourselves. You know, we have a problem with submission today. We do. Children don't want to be submissive to their parents. Wives don't want to be submissive to their husbands. Husbands don't want to be submissive to anybody. 
We don't want to be submissive to the law. And we have a real problem with submission. And I believe that the mature Christian will be submissive to God. You know, when our relationship is right on this plane, we'll be right on this plane. And so, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, we'll see that. And then the next thing is simplicity in life. And that has to do with how we handle our wealth and our possessions. You know that all that we have doesn't belong to us. It's all on loan. We are stewards of someone else's property, of the Lord's property. And we will give account for what we've done with His property. We'll see that in chapters five, in chapter 5, 1 through 6. And then something else that makes a mature Christian is steadfastness. That makes a mature Christian. This, this has to do with being settled and unwavering uh, in our faith. You know, there's so many people, and, and, and James deals with this. He talks about the man who's driven with the sea, with the waves of the sea, the waves going in and out, in and out. And there are many Christians that are like that, Brother Sam. They're up and down, in and out. They're not firm. They're not settled in their faith. And so that's what James is about, about being settled. Uh, and then the next thing is supplications. Makes a mature Christian. This has to do with our prayer life. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 18. And again, that has to do with prayer. If you're here on Wednesday night, you know that we spend time, we call it a prayer meeting and Bible study. And it's important. Many churches don't have a Wednesday night service anymore. Uh, more or less, uh, you know, I mean, not, certainly not having a prayer meeting. And then the last thing is soul winning. That makes a mature Christian. And this has to do with how we handle the Great Commission. And we'll see that in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. So, we'll be, we'll be examining all these points in depth as we study the book of James. And I think it's going to be a great study. I, I ask you to pray for me that, uh, in my computer that it'll work, all right? I mean, we can do it without it, but it's a little nicer when you're able to see it. You know, I learned in school that um, when we hear something, we only remember maybe 40 to 50 percent, if that. That might be high. Yeah? Really, Doug? Yeah. And, uh, but if we see something, or if we hear something and see something, our retention goes up to maybe, you know, 70, 75%. But when we hear something, and we see something, and we write it down, our retention goes up to about 90, 95%. It's amazing, isn't it? So, we'll be examining all these points in depth as we study the book of James. You know, if someone says that they have faith and, they do, and, and does not have a changed life, something is wrong. Let me repeat that. If someone says that they have faith and they don't have a changed life, there is something wrong. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you, am I, a spiritually mature Christian. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? He's what? A new creation. A new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And you know, that was true in my life. Um, And I didn't, you know, when I got saved, everything just didn't change on that first day. 
There were still things in my life that God had to work out. And the more I heard, Brother Al, the more I learned what God wanted me to do and what He didn't want me to do. I began to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. So, old things are become new. And if that's not true of your life, then something is definitely wrong. There's a little course, and I think that Brother Diego uh, quoted it last week also, things are different now. Anybody know that? Anybody know that, Brother Logan? Would you sing it for us, brother, please? <laughs> Anybody on this side know it? Things are different now? All right, Melody, <clears throat> you know it, right? Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll try to sing it for you, all right? Things are different now. Something happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed. It must be since I gave my heart to Him. Listen. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened that day when I gave my heart to Him. And that day was March the 19th, 1972, in Keflavik, Iceland, where I was stationed. You know, folks, if you say, if someone says that they are a Christian, and they act like, and they talk like, and they look like, and they think like they did before they made a profession of faith, then something is evidently wrong. Amen? You know, maybe it's because that person is not genuinely saved. And they are not a spiritually mature Christian. Could it be that they have never repented of their sin of unbelief and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Maybe they've never been born again, converted, as they say in England, saved. It's never happened. If that's the case, Uh, then I want to encourage you to do that today before it's eternally too late. I have another question for you. Where will you spend eternity? you give that much thought? If you you passed on into eternity today, where, where would you spend it? Eternity. Many, many years ago down in Australia, well, there's a bridge there, that famous bridge, and you'll see it every year, New Year's, they'll set off the fireworks. Many years ago, there was someone was going around the streets in Melbourne, or yeah, I think they were wherever, wherever that bridge is, and uh, uh, he was writing. Somebody was writing the word eternity all over the city, on the sidewalks, on the buildings, and then they found out who it was—a man. And I'm sorry, I don't have all the information, but they found out that he had been saved in a revival, and um, he began going around the city writing that, just that word, eternity. And that caused many, many people to reflect on that word. Matter of fact, they put it in on that bridge in neon lights, eternity. Where will you spend eternity, folks? Where? Either heaven 
or hell. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between. There's no limbo for babies. It's either heaven or hell. I want you to notice finally what James ends that verse in. He said, notice he says there in verse 1. Let's get back over here. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. That word greeting was the Greek way of saying hello or howdy. It was, it, was, it was really, it was a common, cheerful expression uh, with, which literally means to be glad, to rejoice, to be cheerful. In essence, James is saying here to these Jewish brethren, he, he says, you know what? As a bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm writing to tell you to be glad. And, and, and to be cheerful and to rejoice in your circumstances. And you know, with all the suffering and all of the trials and all of the temptations and problems that these scattered Christians were going through, what did they have to be glad about? Or to be cheerful? Or, or to rejoice? What's, what, James, what's wrong with you? Uh, don't you know the bad things that we are going through? Don't you know that our world is being turned upside down and we are being persecuted? James, how, how, could, how could we have joy in the midst of troubles? Now what about you and I? Is it possible for Christians today to rejoice? Huh? When our world is falling apart... I've had people say, you know, Brother Escalera, you, you, you don't know what I'm going through. You ever had somebody tell you that? I don't. But God does. He knows what we're all going through. He knows the path that I take. And when I'm tried, I will be purified. And I'll come forth as gold. That's what Job said, I believe. God is able to bring, bring us through whatever we're going through, folks. I'm going to ask Brother Doug to share briefly, I said. I said, remember the five B's of homiletics. Be brief, brother. Be brief. <laughs> and I want him to share what he shared with us Wednesday night and what someone told him. Um, when you get ready to do surgery, there's not much on your body that isn't exposed. <clears throat> and so when I was getting ready for surgery, a nurse saw my scars and stuff on my body, and she said, you've been through a lot. And I said, yeah. And I shared with her what I'd been through, the accident with leukemia and everything else. And, and she said, you have a right to be bitter. And I thought about that, and I said, no. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm in His hands, and if I go into this surgery and never come out of it, I win. I win if I wake up. I win if I come. And and she, I don't think she was a Christian, but the look on her face was, whoa. You know, this guy's been through a lot, and he still smiles. He's getting ready for a surgery. He's not worried. 
You've got to show what Jesus is to you. Amen. Amen. Are you done? Nesson, she was saying, you don't have a right to be happy. So, is it possible for Christians today to rejoice? Yes, it is. It's possible. And many of us have gone through many trials and, and uh, uh, situations in our lives where we came through on the other side. The Lord brought us through, didn't He? And He will bring us through. And so, in the next lesson... We're going to find out how mature Christians react when the trials and temptations come. And you know what? what, what? We, we can rejoice if we have a faith that works. And I trust that that's the kind of faith that you have. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to, again. Thank you for Doug's testimony. And Lord, he's right. We can rejoice regardless of what we go through. And we know that one day we will rejoice for all eternity. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who's never truly been born again, Lord, help them before it's eternally too late. And I pray that you'll bless Pastor as he brings the message. And Lord, that you'll speak to all of our hearts and help us, Lord. May the message make a difference in our lives. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.